0: Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And
1: I'm Natasha Smith, coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado.
0: We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
1: Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy. News that we examined from our Christian worldview perspective, and our goal is to help us all become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us.
0: On today's program, the Southern Baptist Convention expels four churches. We'll explain why. And some Christian leaders don't take kindly to journalists writing about them. We'll discuss their practice of doxing these journalists later in the
1: program. We begin today with news that the Lifetime TV network has canceled a Christian television program because the ministry refused to abide by the cable network's restrictions on controversial topics. Yeah, D. James
0: Kennedy Ministries, which is based down in Florida, is decrying the rise of what it calls cancel culture after Lifetime canceled their ministries half-hour uh, television broadcast called Truths That Transform. The network reportedly gave the ministry an ultimatum earlier in the month to remove certain content or face being banned. The ministry said on its website that that would have meant cutting programs on topics that included abortion and other topics that they felt like they needed to speak out about. Frank Wright is president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, and he said, this is not just about us. Uh, We are at a critical turning point in our culture. The cancel culture is in high gear, coming after Anyone who speaks with courage and candor to the great moral and cultural issues of our day, with God's help, we will not bow. Now, uh, I should add that the program, Truths That Transform, has been airing on Lifetime since 2018.
1: Our next story involves an organization that is involved in the controversial practice of what is called slave rescue. Now, their practice are coming under some scrutiny. Warren, can you tell us more about that?
0: Yeah, earlier this month, talk show host Eric Metaxas and the U.S. based nonprofit Christian Solidarity International uh, issued a press release, and that press release said that they had partnered together with the goal of freeing 350 sudan slaves before christmas but the press release went on to say the campaign surprised their expectations and they raised enough money to free 1600 not 350 christians and non-muslim people from slavery in sudan
1: well that doesn't sound like a bad or controversial thing so what's the problem with freeing 1600 people
0: Well, it's the way they did it that could be a problem. By offering the slaveholders cattle vaccines as an exchange, the ministry says that they were able to reunite uh, these laborers with their families. But some slave rescue groups say that CSI's slave redemption efforts might, in fact, be offering a financial incentive for those involved in the slave trade. Ministry Watch reached out, for example, to World Vision to ask if they had ever used a similar approach, and they said that they did not. In fact, Cheryl Watkins, who is a spokesperson for World Vision, said that we feel the risk of stimulating a market is just too great. Terry Fitzpatrick from the U.S.-based charity Free the Slaves says human trafficking is still profitable in many parts of the world, so providing an incentive is not a good thing. In fact, taking away every incentive and punishing captors should be what we're doing here. Uh, It's still a low-risk, high-reward industry, said Terry Fitzpatrick. Rescue is necessary, but not enough. Free the Slaves takes another approach. When they've participated in slave rescues in Haiti, India, and Ghana, among other places, they rely on the local community and local police to rescue the children and others that are in forced labor situations. Since raids are often conducted with the authorities, Fitzpatrick says that the traffickers don't get anything. They don't get a vaccination for their animals. They mainly just get handcuffs that are used to haul them off to jail. Uh, He was very, very clear. In fact, he said, we don't pay. We use the leverage of the law to rescue these children. Uh, In the end, making human trafficking unprofitable rather than paying a ransom is the most powerful solution.
1: Well, Ministry Watch did another investigative report this week.
0: Yeah, we did. Uh, We had been getting questions about a group called Charity Water. Uh, The group raises money for water projects all around the world. In fact, in the past few years, uh, it's become sort of a juggernaut. It's gotten huge. It's uh, had about $100 million in revenue last year. And it promises its donors that 100% of the money that they donate goes directly to water projects. They even have a name for it. They call it the 100% Pledge.
1: How is that possible?
0: Well, it's not really, but you have to look at the fine print to see what's going on. Charity Water claims to have a number of rich benefactors who pay for all the administrative and other costs for the organization. Uh, So it tells the small donors like you and me, people who typically pledge about $30 a month uh, for water projects, that 100% of their money
1: goes directly to the water projects. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, it does,
0: but only a little more sense. As it turns out, Charity Water doesn't actually even do any water projects. They make grants to other organizations that actually do the work. In essence, Charity Water is a marketing arm. You might call them a middleman. Again, there may be nothing wrong with that so long as the donors know it, but it's pretty clear that some don't. Uh, A lot of people who give $30 to Charity Water probably have no idea that this money is actually going to Samaritan's Purse or some other organization that has its own administrative infrastructure that is at least being partially funded by the Charity Water Grants. Now, I should also mention that even though the president of Charity Water talks about his faith and they've attracted a lot of evangelical donors, Charity Water is not a Christian organization. It has no statement of faith. It is not a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, and that means it doesn't have to follow the ECFA standards
1: for fundraising. So what's the bottom line here?
0: Well, we rarely tell people not to to donate to an organization, but we would ask Christian donors to ask some tough questions about Charity Water. If you're a donor to Charity Water, you have a right to ask these questions and you have a right to good answers to the questions. Ask them, for example, why they don't have a statement of faith uh, and uh, who they're partnering with out in the field, in the country that, that the donor might be interested in. Ask them how they decide to partner with organizations, why do some make the cut and others not? And if you don't get good answers, then maybe you should consider withholding your donations.
1: Or let's talk about one more story before we go to break, and that's the Southern Baptist Convention has expelled four churches. What can you tell us about the circumstances?
0: Well, four churches were disfellowshipped by the Southern Baptist Convention's Executive Committee on Tuesday, uh, and the circumstances were a little different for each one, but two of the churches were removed for affirming homosexual behavior in their standards for members and leaders, and two other churches were removed because they knowingly employed as pastors men who had sex offenses in their past.
1: The executive committee also received a report from a task force that investigated the SBC's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. That's a story we've reported on in the past.
0: Yeah, we reported on the release of that report a couple of weeks ago. Now, of course, it's gone to the executive committee, and they've uh, been asked to consider it. The report concluded that the ERLC was a distraction to the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, and its actions had led to a loss in donations. But I would say that the executive committee itself chose to take no action on the report. Uh, Executive committee member Rod Martin, who has been a critic of the ERLC and it's President Russell Moore asked if the agency was still needed, given the denomination uh, divisions on a number of issues, and that the ERLC does not focus primarily on evangelism or missions.
1: Did anything else happen of note this week at the executive committee meeting?
0: Yeah, it was something that, you know, maybe just symbolic, but I think it was pretty significant. Uh, Southern Baptist Convention President J.D. Greer called out fellow Southern Baptists at his speech on Monday. Uh, He said that many of his fellow Southern Baptists were sowing political dissension and conspiracy theories and attempting to tie their political views to their Christian faith. Uh, J.D. Greer went on to say, we are not at our core a political activism group. We love our country, but God has not called us to save America. He's called us to build the church and spread the gospel. That is our primary mission. Greer said that COVID-19 and the recent political season had revealed fault lines within the Southern Baptist Convention, and he called them fissures, fault lines, and fleshly idolatries. Uh, He also said, though, that COVID didn't produce these crises It only exposed them.
1: Warren, we need to take a break. But when we return, we'll look at how a couple of ministry leaders have treated Christian journalists who have investigated them. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after
2: this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, let's continue with the story that I promised before the break about a couple of Christian journalists who were recently doxed by ministry leaders. Now, first of all, can you explain what doxing is? Yeah, doxing
0: is uh, kind of a modern practice, I guess you could say, a 21st century method of harassing enemies by gathering and disseminating private or identifying information with malicious intent. The technique gained notoriety back a few years ago in 2014, the so-called Gamergate controversy in which male video gamers would dox female players. Uh, recently, employees of two prominent Christian uh, ministries, the John MacArthur's uh, Grace Community Church and Grace to You, and Dave Ramsey, which is not technically a Christian ministry, but has a lot of ties to the Christian community, doxed Christian journalists that were reporting critical stories about those leaders. Um, they claimed the stories were false and motivated by evil intent, and um, they started publishing their private information online.
1: And there are two journalists who sometimes write for Ministry Watch.
0: Yeah, that's right. One of them is Julie Royce, who has documented troubling issues at uh, various organizations affiliated with California pastor John MacArthur, including board governance issues and financial transparency issues. One of John MacArthur's senior executives, Phil Johnson, retaliated online and published personal information about Julie Royce.
1: And the other writer is Bob Smetania, whose name you often hear at the end of these podcasts as a contributor.
0: Yeah, that's right. Dave Ramsey, the financial um, guru, um, sought to make his Franklin, Tennessee headquarters the best place to work in America and had repeatedly won recognition for doing that. Uh, th- those awards got the attention of Bob Smitanya, who's a veteran reporter for Religion News Service. And he started investigating complaints that he had heard for years from employees there who said that the company operated in what uh, the Bob's article called a cult-like environment. Bob ended up writing about a 4,100-word article, and by the way, we published that article here at Ministry Watch. We thought it was well done, and um so Matanya- uh, contacted Dave Ramsey's PR team for answers to some of his questions, but they responded not with answers to Bob's questions but with a sarcastic email that they then copied to about a thousand people, including Ramsey employees. Now that email listed uh, Bob's address, his phone number, his email address and 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 they also Ramsey's organization encouraged recipients to contact bob and protest what he was writing about Dave Ramsey. And in fact, that email generated about 100 calls and contacts.
1: Well, Warren, let's talk about this practice a bit. And I'm going to take the contrary view for a minute and ask, what's wrong with that? I mean, after all, if journalists demand transparency, shouldn't they have to stand up to scrutiny as well?
0: Well, absolutely. Uh, they should. And I should say, we should. We should uh, stand up to scrutiny. We should be transparent. But sharing personal information specifically to encourage people to harass a journalist is considered unethical and in some states it's downright illegal in fact it it is illegal in California so it is possible that what Phil Johnson did out in California as a part of uh, you know his role at grace grace to you and Grace Community Church might actually be against the law uh, I should say that here at Ministry watch we draw a couple of lines uh, whenever we're reporting on people, and we kind of expect them to draw the same line in return. And that is that we try to leave children out of a story to the point where uh, sometimes we will write about ministry leaders, and the only photo that we can get is a family photo. We'll either try to crop that photo, or just not use it if it includes their children. And we also uh, never include uh, information about someone's personal private residence unless that's what the story is about. So, for example, Dave Ramsey's just put his home up for sale. Uh, He's asking about $14 million for it. We'll talk about that briefly later in the program. So, we don't put the actual address up, but we do occasionally write about uh, stories of personal residence when they involve you know, megachurch pastors and others. Um, So finally, I don't think doxing also rises to the biblical standard of loving our neighbors as ourselves, uh, even to the point of loving our enemies.
1: Oh, that's exactly right. Important to remember those things. Now, let's move on and talk about the International House of Prayer. They recently left the Evangelical Council of Financial Accountability, and do we know why?
0: Well, no. In fact, we don't know exactly why. Uh, The Missouri-based or Kansas City-based International House of Prayer, they also are uh, related to a church called Forerunner Christian Fellowship, withdrew its membership from the ECFA on January 31st. Uh, The status change was labeled as voluntary, meaning that the organization is not under a compliance review by the ECFA. But I will have to say that their withdrawal, even if it was voluntary, is a little unusual because they haven't been a Member of the ECFA for very long. Um, However, uh, IHOP, uh, as the International House of Prayer is sometimes called, has been embroiled in controversy over the last few years. Uh, I wrote about them when I was at World Magazine, probably about six years ago. Uh, they stopped publishing their Form 990s, uh, which Ministry Watch uh, takes as a bad sign. Back in 2014, uh, we reported last year that they had also received about 2.5 million dollars in Payroll Protection Program loans. Nothing illegal about that, but again, it was a big enough number to generate some attention, not only from us but from local media in Kansas City as well. Um, the, you know, they've even been involved in a copyright infringement case. Uh, the other IHOP International. House of Pancakes uh, had sued them over uh, copyright and trademark infringement. That lawsuit ultimately ended up being settled privately. And while that lawsuit might just be kind of interesting or even humorous, uh, a couple of others have not been. Uh, back in 2012, an International House of Prayer intern named Bethany Deaton was found dead in the backseat of a van with a note, an empty bottle of acetaminophen, and a plastic bag tied around her head. Detectives initially ruled that her death was a suicide until International House of Prayer University student, Michael. Moore came forward and confessed that he had killed Bethany Deaton. Now, I should add that IHOP officials have said that they had nothing to do with that crime, but once again, it's an example of a group uh, kind of finding its way towards and not away from uh, controversy. I should also add that the theology of the International House of Prayer has come under scrutiny as well. Michael Bickle is the founder of that group, and he's been sometimes called a leader in what's called the New Apostolic Reformation, which is an offshoot of a lot of uh, Pentecostal and charismatic groups. Now, it's also true that Bickle has denied being a part of the New Apostolic Reformation movement, but most Watchers of those movements consider him to be an NAR leader.
1: Now, Warren, last year you spent a lot of time writing about Bill Hybels and Willow Creek Church, but with all of the other scandals that have broken out late last year and this year, uh, they've been kind of crowded out of the news. But this week, there was a new development.
0: Yeah, there was. A lot of our listeners may know the popular Christian author Shauna Nyquist, uh, and that she's the daughter of Bill Hybels. Uh, And this week, she issued a statement of apology for her silence uh, following the allegations against her father, Bill Hybels, of course, the founding pastor of of Willow Creek Community Church. Nyquist spoke out about the allegations for the first time in a long Instagram post on Monday, uh, accompanied by a simple image with the words, an apology, and she went on to say, "I apologize for my silence and for all that it communicated. I'm so sorry. I continue to grieve alongside every person who's grieving." Now, I should add that Bill Hybels, for those of you who don't quite remember that story, Bill Hybels retired from Willow Creek Community Church back in 2018 after he was accused by several women who worked for or attended the church of sexual misconduct, and that sexual misconduct was then. Um, Widely uh, reported to go back as much as 20 years. Bill Hybels has denied the allegations, but it caused a huge shakeup at the church. The church itself did an investigation, found the the uh, accusations to be credible, and many of the elders responded because they were had not dealt with it appropriately. Then they did an outside study, uh, and an investigation by an independent group, also found those accusations to be credible.
1: And for Bill Heibel's daughter to make this statement must have been really tough.
0: Well, it was, and you could tell it was by the language that she used in her post. In fact, I would encourage all of our listeners to go to ministrywatch.com and read our story, which quotes from the Instagram post pretty extensively, and also links to the post if you want to read the whole thing. Um, You know, but I've got to, even though it must have been tough for her and it probably did take some courage for her to come forward, and I want to mention that there was another statement that was released last week by a former employee of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries named Ruth Malhotra, um, who it, it was also a, a long confession and apology. I think it's really important, um, Natasha, that we don't turn these people into heroes. I mean, I think that we should congratulate them on finally coming forward, on finally telling the truth and doing the right thing. But the reality is, is that they were there and they were benefiting uh, from these organizations and from the wrongdoing that their leaders were, uh, engaged in and they, they didn't say a word about it. So, uh, you know, it's never too late to do the right thing. So I want to congratulate them on that, but I don't think we should make heroes out of them either.
1: Now, one quick story before the break, and you mentioned this earlier, Dave Ramsey's house is for sale.
0: Yeah, personal finance guru Dave Ramsey listed his Nashville area home for $15.45 million. It's a six-bedroom Mountain View estate on 14-plus acres, uh, including a buffer lot on each side, 14,000 square feet. Um, but don't fret for Dave Ramsey even though he's losing his house he's, I'm not sure that he's downsizing uh, just moving a little bit farther south of Nashville back in 2008 Ramsey bought a lot for about 1.6 million dollars now of course given Ramsey's teaching we can assume that that was a debt free lot and that's where he plans to build a new
1: home Warren we're going to take another break I'm Natasha Smith along with my co-host Warren Smith more in a moment
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a Stork Bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork Buses partner college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com, that's storks.com
1: Welcome back, I'm Natasha Smith along with my co-host Warren Smith and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now Warren, let's use the last segment today for a lightning round of stories. And first up, a new study by the Barna Research Group into the Black church experience in this country.
0: Yeah, seven out of 10 Black adults and nearly nine out of 10 Black churchgoers think that to really understand the African-American experience, it's important to realize the role of religious faith in the lives of Black people. Yet, according to a new study by Barna, a research organization that studies the intersection of faith and culture, the proportion of black adults who think church involvement is desirable has actually gone down over the last 25 years from about 90% in a study done in 1996 to just 74% today.
1: And there's a case before the Supreme Court that donors and ministry leaders should know about. Yeah, in fact,
0: two similar cases before the Supreme Court challenge a California law. That law says that nonprofit organizations must release a list of its largest donors. Now, that list is found on what's called Schedule B of an organization's 990. Uh, Most nonprofits release the Form 990 but redact or don't release at all uh, the Schedule B, but the California law says that they must. Now, most Christian organizations oppose this California law, and now the Association of Fundraising Professionals uh, is the latest organization to sign on to an amicus brief uh, that is going to to the Supreme Court as part of those two cases that are challenging this law. I should say that California is the only state that requires the disclosure of a donor list, but in this age of the internet, that hardly matters. If if that donor list is available in California, it's going to be available to the nation. And Christian and other groups have reason to believe that these lists are being used to harass donors. And in fact, that happened a few years ago when the founder of the tech firm Mozilla, Brendan Eich, was forced out of his own company, uh, and he was targeted because he had made a small donation to a group fighting for traditional marriage.
1: Well, moving along, Warren, job recovery across nonprofits continued to be sluggish in January.
0: Yeah, it was. The nonprofit workforce is still about 8% below pre pandemic levels. Uh, but the category defined as religious organizations made slight gains over the previous month, uh, according to an analysis by the Center for Civil Society Studies at Johns Hopkins University.
1: And who did Ministry Watch feature this week in the Ministries Making a Difference column?
0: Well, Christina Darnell featured GRACE, which stands for Godly Response to Abuse in the Christian Environment. We featured GRACE actually on this program a number of times over the past. Uh, GRACE hosted a Facebook Live session over the weekend with Victor Veith to discuss how abuse can impact uh, one's view of God, the church, and his own faith journey. I should add that uh, Veith is the author of On This Rock a call to center the Christian response to child abuse on the life and words of Jesus. Grace, uh, by the way, estimates that one in four men and women have experienced some form of abuse or neglect from their own faith community, and that in the U.S., two-thirds of children experience at least one adverse childhood experience in their faith communities, including abuse. We also featured uh, ministries that are on the ground in Texas. Of course, Texas has been in the news because of the huge winter storm out there. Among the ministries working there diligently are World Vision, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association's Rapid Response Team, and the Texas-based Convoy of Hope.
1: Well, that's good news. That brings us to a close. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Gutterd, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Emily Miller, Shannon Cuthrill, Bob Smetania, Steve Raby, Julia chan Erickson, and Ann Stike. And thanks to our friends at the Nonprofit Times for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
0: And I'm Warren Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.